tuned to the Deep End Podcast with Pastor Tim every Tuesday night. <laughs> Let's go. Have you ever been wounded by someone that you love or someone that formerly loved you? Have you ever been so frustrated with an area of your life or a season in your life you thought there's no good that can come from this? Well, you're in good company because David found himself right where you are or have been or might be. A season in exile when God starts to use your misery for a future ministry. Welcome to your favorite night of the week. This is The Deep End with Tim Hatch. Hey, glad you're here, glad you're here, glad you're here. Tuesday night, 7 p.m., and can you believe it? We're already into episode eight of season season four of The Deep End, going through the life of David. Hey, do me a favor. Make sure that you follow us on all of our social media accounts. Twitter's easier. It's just at Deep End TV. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on uh, Instagram, Periscope, at The Deep End TV, or Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, uh, forward slash the deep end tv and welcome to fm 99.99.5 in providence rhode island welcome to the spotify audience the twitch audience uh, radio audience in F- tampa florida and i am glad to be here from my home base once again in the home studio and believe it or not completely alone today completely alone because it's thanksgiving weekend everybody's on vacation and i'm all by myself so pray for me that i get through this entire episode uh, at youtube.com slash TV. Make sure also that you hit that like button on the video uh, right below me. Hit that subscribe button if you haven't already at youtube.com slash TV, and make sure you hit the notification bell. That way you're always aware of when we are live because we want this content to be available to you as soon as it is ready. Thank you so much. Make sure that you support The Deep End, thedeepend.tv slash support. Give and it shall be given. Thank you to all of you Deep Enders who are giving already. We're so glad to have you in support of what we're doing here. And that sums up my pitch for uh, offering and uh, support and financial giving. Let's get into Deep End News, shall we? Deep End News. The news you choose if you could choose news. Yeah, so the news is kind of getting crazy uh, in the world today. The news is kind of getting crazy uh, because of COVID. COVID cases are rising. We're hearing about all the governors now, uh, mostly the Democratic ones who are shutting down, locking down their constituents, their their population once again. And here comes rising cases, and we don't want to overrun the hospitals. And I get it. When cases are rising, we should be careful because, after all, we want to care for people. Am I right? We want to care for people. But here's the deal. And this is why I have such a hard time with the whole COVID controversy, the whole COVID crisis, okay? Because the fact is, is that governors in democratically run states have a funny way of picking and choosing which industries should be shut down and should be and should not be shut down. So I found I found this out. Check this out, Deep End News. Uh, Deadline.com reports entertainment industry workers exempt from California Governor Gavin Newsom's new stay-at-home order. Entertainment industry workers! Do you know who those people are? Those people are the movie makers. <laughs> people who make movies can go to work, but you who work in a factory or a salon or a, I don't know, something that people actually need, you can't. <laughs> this is insanity to me. And it's kind of crazy because we have these governors who are imposing curfews, curfews on adults. 
They're treating you like children, friends. This is ridiculous, in my opinion. It's absolutely insane. And this is why I have a hard time with the COVID crisis. I have a hard time buying into the crisis of COVID because these governors and these leaders are picking and choosing how bad it is where, how bad it is, uh, how bad it is for this person, how bad it is not for that person. And they're kind of taking these positions of, of draconian leadership over your life, treating you like a kindergartner. I got news for you. Um, entertainment industry, not essential. Not. <laughs> but last week we reported about how the state of California considers strip clubs essential and churches not essential. So strip clubs are open, but churches are not. Pretty sad in my opinion. Pretty sad. Pretty ridiculous. Hey, Massachusetts, bad news for you. You've got something coming. They're, they're called... Um, they're called uh, COVID-19 ambassadors. This is from the city of Northampton, Massachusetts, looking for six part-time COVID ambassadors. What's a COVID ambassador? Somebody who's going to tell on you if you're not wearing a mask. Somebody's going to be walking the streets of Northampton, Massachusetts and saying, ah, wear a mask. Or why are you out past curfew, young man, young lady? <laughs> One of the key functions here listed on the, uh, on the Northampton website here is monitors these these people monitor and assist them with mask compliance and provides masks to visitors as needed uh they also monitor downtown areas and they communicate with citizens and develop a positive relationship with visitors by providing by providing assistance and information related to COVID 19 someone took george orwell's 1984 off the fiction shelf and put it on the educational shelf at the public library it was probably a librarian with a degree in gender studies yeah, I said it. <laughs> it's getting ridiculous. <laughs> 1984. Who would have thought that we would be living in a living in America with curfews and publicly funded hall monitors? Because that's exactly what these people are. They're publicly funded hall monitors. Remember hall monitors? These people, we used to beat them up. Today, now they're going to tell us what to do. <laughs> the world is getting crazy. That's why we need to preach the gospel of Jesus because the gospel of Jesus Christ preaches a freedom that God gives not government. Sad. But hey, good news is this. Good news is this. It is Thanksgiving week. Like I said, I'm in the studio alone today because Michael, my studio producer here down in my home studio, is on vacation. Happy vacation, Michael. Enjoy your Thanksgiving as I'm here alone. But it is Turkey Day. And I am exactly, I am very excited to announce this little piece of deep end news as well. Millions, according to ABC News, millions stick to Thanksgiving travel despite the warnings of COVID-19 spreading. Good for you, America. <laughs> Good for you. That, I'm, I'm thankful that Americans are still being Americans and not letting these governors control your life. Travel. Go. Maybe wear a mask if you have to. I don't, I don't want to be like a, a, a bad person. <laughs> but let me ask you this concerning Thanksgiving. Moving on from our news segment to our Thanksgiving segment. What are you thankful for? What are you thankful for in your life? Let me just put this up full screen here for you. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. What are you thankful for? I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that you are subscribing at youtube.com slash the DVN TV. <laughs> I'm thankful for this. You know what this is? I actually bought this on Amazon this week because I'm, I'm starting to get worried for the soul of, America, soul of America. 
I got myself a pocket copy of the Constitution of the United States and the Declaration of Independence because this is what we go by. Not mask mandates, not curfews, not not religiously religious institutions being shut down by governmental executive orders. No, we go by this. So I would encourage you to get one of these because this might come in handy very soon. This is the land of the free and the home of the brave. Last time I heard, let's keep it that way. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my amazing church and the amazing staff that I get to hang out with and do life with. I'm thankful for my wife and my children, all strong, growing, and rooted and grounded in Christ. Take time this week, not just to watch football and stuff yourself. Take time this week to be thankful because a thankful heart is a God's will heart, right? That's what I just said. This is God's will for your life, to be thankful. And we got to be thankful in all circumstances. So as much as I can complain about all the things that are wrong in our world, I can also be thankful that our God is over the world. And like I said, I am very thankful that you are subscribing at youtube.com slash the deep end TV. Okay. I'm also thankful for this. My book is coming out, Move, Entering into God's Promises for You, March 20, no, March 1st, 2021. Check it out over at timhatchlive.com slash books, timhatchlive.com slash books. Get your copy pre-ordered today. I am so thrilled to provide this material for you. It's a book about having the right attitude to move forward in faith. You know, there's so many things that keep us held back. And we see these uh, attitudes and these spirits in the lives of the Israelites as they come out of Egypt and they fail to enter into the promised land. Well, two guys make it in, Caleb and Joshua, and we explore the attitudes. I call them the Beatitudes of moving forward in Christ in the lives of Joshua and Caleb. Make sure you check it out at timhatch.com slash, timhatchlive, sorry, timhatchlive.com slash books. Order yours today. Okay, that's all I got to say today in terms of news and what's going on and uh, the week of Thanksgiving. So let's head into our text today. I got a really great message for you prepared. This is this is a great Bible study. It's gonna help someone, gonna help you on how to handle the wounds of life, especially the wounds that God gives you. Let's head into the life of David. Okay, so season four of The Deep End, we're going through the life of David, and we are in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22 today. I got a question for you. Have you ever been wounded by God? Have you ever been wounded by God? David is on the run. This is uh, the second chapter of his life. Like, this is season two of his life. Season one, he's uh, rising to the ranks of Israel's most impressive commander, and season two begins when Saul starts chucking spears at him and chairs at him. And Jonathan helps him get out from under the auspices of Saul's jealous hatred. But things don't go well for David in the season. It's actually a very difficult season. He's on the run. He's been disconnected from his only ally in the palace, Jonathan. And Saul has the army. Saul has the people. Saul has the means to do damage to David in significant ways. And David begins this descent, this continuous descent for the next several chapters in 1 Samuel, in which God brings these deep wounds into his life, these hurts, these pains, and he cries out in pain and distress in many respects. And yet what we're going to see in these chapters is God is going to use those wounds to use David in significant ways. I want to share scripture to lay a base for what we're talking about today. It's in Proverbs 27, verse 6, and it says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. In other words, 
when you have a friend, they're going to hurt you by telling you what is truthful. An enemy is just going to go, I love you. You're awesome. You're perfect. <laughs> and in our age of superficiality, you want to be very aware that that's what enemies do. They flatter you, but, but friends wound you. Now, I thought about this. If, if faithful are the wounds of a friend, the Bible calls God our friend. It is reasonable to assume, yes, that God will wound us because he is faithful and he is our friend. And you say, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like the wounds of God. I don't like to be hurt. Well, God only hurts because he wants to help. It's like the surgeon who cuts before he takes out the cancer. Or the, or, or, you know, the, the, the therapist who dives deep into those areas that you don't want to talk about because you want to avoid the pain, but you got to explore the pain in order to heal the pain. I want to share with you guys uh, uh, the story of a lady named uh, Lady Julian. She lived in uh, 1300 uh, AD and she made this significant prayer to God. This is a picture of a statue of her up on the screen, Lady Julian, 1344 to 1416 AD. And she made this significant prayer to God. She prayed, listen to this, listen to this prayer. Oh God, please give me three wounds, the wound of contrition and the wound of compassion and the wound of longing after you. And then she added this little postscript to the prayer. She said, this I ask without condition. Think about that. The wound of contrition, the wound of compassion, the wound of longing after God. This was her prayer. What was she saying? Lord, I want to be hurt over the things that are hurting me. Sin hurts. So she says, give me contrition, repentance, a desire to change and walk away from sin. And she says, give me compassion because a lot of people are going through the same stuff that I'm going through and I need to have compassion for them. And even if they're not going through the same stuff I've gone through, I still need to be, have compassion. Well, how do we get compassion? Many times God has to wound us spiritually so that we'll have compassion for other people who are wounded as well. And then she says, a longing for God. That God wound me so that I long not for the things of this world, but for the things of God. Imagine praying that prayer. I would encourage you to do this. God wound me with com contrition, compassion, and a longing for you so that I am growing through whatever I am going through. So that I'm growing through whatever I am going through. Well, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22. And we're going to talk about David's exile because here's the thing about David's exile. David's exile is education and preparation for helping those who are hurt by the kingdom of Saul. All season long, we've been talking about this. That Saul's kingdom represents this world, this present age, under the auspices of the, the, the devil, the king, the, the, the God of this age, the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And yet under the auspices of the God of this world, there is another kingdom. It is the kingdom of David, the kingdom of David's true son, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And if you are in Jesus Christ, you are part of his kingdom, even though you live under the kingdom of this world, the, 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 the God of this world. And we've got to learn how to live faithfully with Christ, even though it looks and appears like Satan is in charge. He's not. Just like Saul looked like he was in charge, but he was already being replaced by David, who would be the king. It looked like Saul was in charge, but he's not. God's in charge. God's going to have his king reign on the earth. Can I get an amen from somebody? <laughs> David's exile is education. Your exile is education and preparation for, for helping those who are hurt in this world because many people are suffering. Many people are wounded in this world. We talked about this two, three weeks ago, actually, in this uh, season of The Deep End. I shared how God's preparation does not happen in the palaces of men, but in the wilderness of God. We all want to be prepared for something. We all want to grow. How does God grow us? In the wilderness, not the palace. 
Think about how many people had to leave the palace to get to get de- developed to be prepared to help people. Like Moses was in the palace of Egypt. He had to go out into the wilderness to be prepared to help God's people. David was in the palace with Saul. He had to be exiled into the wilderness for a long time, for 13 years actually, running from Saul, to be prepared to help God's people. Jesus left the palace of heaven to come into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit led him by led him out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights, to be prepared to minister. And you, you, yes, you, will be exiled in this world. You will feel the exilic nature of being a Christian in this world. It means you, it means you don't feel at home because you're not. You belong to the world that is to come. And while you're in exile, God's gonna wound you in order to prepare you to use you for the good of other people. That's what we see in David's life. I wanna quote a famous uh, devotional uh, name in, the Christ- in Christian circles. His name is Oswald Chambers, and he says this, quote, before God can use a man greatly, he must wound him deeply. Before God can use a man or woman greatly, he must wound him deeply. We don't like to be wounded, but sometimes it's the wounds that God allows in our lives that make us contrite, compassionate toward others, and hungry for God, amen? We don't like it, but sometimes we need it. God's gonna prepare you to help people. How's he gonna do it? He's gonna bring you through seasons that you don't wanna be in. He's gonna bring you through some, some animosity, some, some tense areas, some, some hardship times in your life that you may not want to be a part of, but you might need to be a part of so that you grow into the person that can be used by God. And I have this in, 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 the, in the scriptures. This is the last scripture we're going to actually deal with today, but I want to put it up there out front. It's the key theme scripture for today's episode. First Samuel twenty two twenty three says this, David saying to one of the priests, stay with me. Do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me, you shall be in safekeeping. We're going to get to that passage at the end of our study, but we're going to see in this study of chapters 21 and 22 of 1 Samuel, we're going to see the very human side of David. Yes, he was a mighty hero who defeated Saul. Yes, he was a conquering general. Yes, he was amazingly gifted, but he also was very human, just like you, just like me. We're going to see also how God lets this man get deeply wounded by the people that should be caring for him, the people that he helped, he actually gets wounded by, like Saul. And then we're going to see the good that God brings from those wounds and how he can do it in your life too. But you got to maintain an attitude. You got to maintain a spirit that receives these things by faith, knowing that God is going to work in all things for your good. Amen. Amen. Let's get into the text. First Samuel chapter 21, verse one says this, then David came to Nob. So he's on the run from Saul and he comes to Nob. What's Nob? Nob was a habitation of the priests, the priests all kind of lived in Nob because when Eli's family collapsed and uh, the nation was overrun by the Philistines, the priests all gathered in a city called Nob. So David goes to Nob to um, get ministry from the priests. And he goes to Ahimelech, the priest, the Bible says. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling and said to him, why are you alone and why is no one with you? This would be very odd for anyone to travel alone in the ancient world, especially when it's overrun by Philistines because of the threat and the dangers of Israel's enemies. And David said to him, like the priest, the king charged me with the matter and said to me, now he's lying here. Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and, to, and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such place. So David is entering into a new season here 
and the season is exile. And here's an interesting little fa- fun tidbit about the passage or the, the book of First Samuel. The last third of the book of First Samuel deals with David's exile and descent into pain. It's interesting because the last third of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all deal with Jesus' descent to the cross, into the grave. And so you see the harmony there between David's life and Jesus' life. And yet it will be the pain of David and the pain of Christ that will bring the healing and help that the world so desperately needs. So David keeps pointing to a larger figure beyond himself, Jesus Christ, his son, our Savior. David's recently separated from Jonathan. He's got no one with him. He's all alone. And he's on the run from Saul and Saul's spears. And by the way, he has done nothing deserving of this. When I talk about the wounds of God, I'm talking about the wounds that we don't deserve, that we didn't incur upon our lives because of sin. David is is being wounded intentionally here for a ministry that is soon to be his in, in God. Let's continue in the passage, 1 Samuel 21, 3. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me some bread, or whatever is here. And the priest answered, David, I have no common bread on hand, but only his holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women, I'll give it to you. And David answered the priest, truly the women have kept us, uh, have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an extraordinary ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So um, the priest does something interesting here. He offers David the, the holy bread, the bread of presence is called in, in the Torah. The, tor- the, the bread of presence was 12 loaves of bread that were baked for feeding the priests who served in the temple to expedite, expiate sin and put away uh, uh, people's sins through the sacrificial offerings of the Old Testament law. That's all that the bread, that's all the bread that's on hand here in the, in the habit, in Nob, where the priests are hanging out in their compound. And David says, I'm hungry. And the priest says, I've only got this, but if you've kept yourself from women, I'll give it to you. So I'm going to make an exception. I'm going to give you some food because mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is greater than the law. Okay. He says, I got this food. And so here you go. If you've kept yourself from women, you can have it. And the Bible says in verse six, so the priest gave him the holy bread for there was no bread there, but the bread of presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Every seventh day. 12 new loaves would replace whatever was left over from the 12 previous loaves of the previous week. Now, there's an interesting passage in Luke chapter 6 where Jesus quotes this very moment to the people who were criticizing him because he and his disciples were, were plucking heads of grain as they walked through the grain fields, rubbing it in their hands and snacking on it. And the Pharisees condemned them. And they said, you're doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to them in Luke chapter six, verse three, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, but also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. And, and Jesus illustrates something here that is very important for us today. Basically, he says, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the law is made for your good. You are not made to serve the law. When we serve the law, we become legalists. We put, we put burdens on men's hearts and lives. No, the law is for your protection, for your blessing, for your flourishing. It is not for you to feel terrible. It's to help you. The Sabbath is part of the law. And the law is there to help and administer blessing into your life and fruitfulness and grace and God's goodness. That's the first point that Jesus makes. But Jesus makes another point. The larger point is this. He is the true son of David. He is the true son of David, the true king of Israel, who is rejected and mistreated by those in charge and yet is their salvation. Isn't that cool? <coughs> Excuse me. That's the lesson that Jesus unpacks for us based on this text that we're in today. Let's go on. Verse seven of chapter 21. Now a certain man 
of the servants of Saul was there that day. He, so there's this guy at Nob with the priests and his name, he was, first off it says he was detained before the Lord and his name was Doeg the Edomite. Doeg the Edomite. This, this should tell you something real quickly if you know the Bible. The Edomites were descendants of Esau. Name means, uh, the name means red. Uh, and they were arch enemies of Israel. They harassed them when they came out of Egypt. They harassed them when they were uh, sent off into exile in Babylon. And there's this guy who's from that nation, the Edomites, named Doeg. And he's also the chief of Saul's herdmen. Now, that's interesting. He's working for Saul, but he's one of Israel's most infamous enemies. Well, Saul, at his high point in his kingship, he had, he had defeated the Edomites. And now he's got one of, his, one of them in his service named Doeg. And just remember that name because he'll come into play a bit later in the text. Let's continue. Verse eight. Then David said to Ahimelech, then have you not here a spear or sword at hand? Now he sees Doeg, the Edomite. So he must, he must be suspicious of Doeg because he asked for a weapon. Do you have a, do you have a sword or spear? For I've brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. And the priest answered, said the sword of Goliath, Listen to this. The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Halal, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. Now, David makes a horrible mistake. <laughs> this is David who had said to Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 47. He had said that the Lord does not save with sword or spear. Remember that? <laughs> but now here he is saying, I need a sword or a spear. He's kind of digressed. He's human. He's kind of lost a little bit of faith. And he goes after the sword of Goliath to protect himself. Sometimes we're going to go through seasons where we start to digress spiritually. It doesn't mean God is done with us. It doesn't mean that judgment is awaiting us. Even David slipped. Even David started to trust in the weapons of man rather than in the purpose of God. Notice what he misses here in the text. It's so important that you see it. The sword of Goliath is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. The ephod was the garment the priest would wear to determine the word of the Lord, the will of the Lord. And instead of seeking the word of the Lord, the will of the Lord, David seeks the weapons of Goliath, the weapons of the enemies of Israel. David's going to learn a lesson. He's going to learn a hard lesson here. Don't seek what man can do for you. Seek what God would say to you. In this moment, he makes the bad choice. In future moments, he will make the positive choice, the right choice. Let's continue. Verse 10, and David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now, this is interesting. He not only takes Saul's sword, but he goes to where Goliath is from, Gath. Uh, Saul, not, not Saul's sword, Goliath's sword. So he takes Goliath's sword and he goes to Goliath's hometown, the city of Gath. He goes to the king, Achish, a Philistine king. He's hiding from Saul. He runs into the enemies of Saul. I have this I have this written down in my notes. It's, it's kind of a good point, I think. Sometimes in your Christian experience, you will feel safer in the presence of unbelievers than rebellious believers or hurtful or godless believers. And, and there's a lot of godless believers out there, trust me. <laughs> Sometimes you're going to feel safer in the presence of unbelievers than in rebellious believers. Don't be. When you're tempted to give up on the church, that's when you need the church the most. That's when you need to stand your ground in faith the most. When, 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 when things are terrible, don't give up on your relationships with God's people. 
Don't think that it's more peaceful out there with the world. That's what David does. He's making bad choice after bad choice after bad choice. He's human, just like you, just like me. Let's go on. Verse 11, and the servants of Achish said to him, is, is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him and dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens thousands. David's trying to be incognito here in, in Philistine territory. And the servants of Achish are like, hey, we know this guy, uh, Achish king. If you haven't been on the battlefield lately, this is the guy who's been kicking our butts all over the place. And by the way, they sing a song about him. And now you've welcomed me to our homeland. And by the way, they call him king of the land, which is kind of an interesting thing. Also prefiguring Christ. Remember that the demons of hell, the demons of hell uh, knew who Jesus was before Jesus. Uh, before the world knew who Jesus was in many respects. And 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 the the servants of Achish know who David is before Achish knows who David is. So so just like the demons of hell knew who Jesus was before the people knew who Jesus was, <laughs> the servants of Achish know who David is before Achish knows who David is. I hope I said that clearly, but let's move on anyway. Verse 12. And David took these words to heart as and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane. <laughs> this is interesting. He pretended to be insane in their hands. So they, they're like basically about to take him to prison and he starts to act like a madman. And he made marks on the doors and the gates and let his spittle run down his beard. Okay, David is digressing, isn't he? He's, <laughs> he's moving backwards from this man of faith, this man of triumph, this man of power and authority. Now he's becoming this, this lunatic in the hand of his enemies. It's not a good time and he's afraid and he's scared and he's in the midst of his enemies and he's chased by his former friends and his former employer and everything looks like it's falling apart for David. What does he do? You know what he does? You know what he does when he hits rock bottom? This is so great. He writes three Psalms, three Psalms. Remember I said David's life touches five books of the Bible. One of those is, one of those is here in first Samuel, but they're also the book of Psalms. Many of them were written by David. And in the midst of his rock bottom moment, David writes Psalm 56. Let me look at it with you for a second. Psalm 56 says, be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long. An attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long for many attack me profoundly. He's saying my, my former employer attacks me. My enemies attack me. There's nobody with me. I'm alone. Help me. Verse three, he says in Psalm 56, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, I trust. In God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Here's a question for you. When you are afraid, what do you do? When you are overwhelmed in life, what do you do? Do you run to people, to things, to stuff, to, the, to alcohol, to addiction, or do you run to God? Because David runs to God. We need to learn to condition our spirits that when we are overwhelmed, we pray. When we are overwhelmed, we give it to God. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. What do I do with anxiety, pastor? I cast it on God. He cares for me. Psalm 55, right before Psalm 56, verse 22, okay, also written by David. It says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. <clears throat> cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. The lesson is, if you don't cast your burden on the Lord, there will be no sustenance from him for you. He will never let the righteous be moved. Let me put it on the screen so you know it, so you can see it. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Psalm 55, verse 22. When you are overwhelmed, run to God. When you are afraid, run to God. 
Don't run away, run too. That's why don't give up on your Christian relationships when things are going bad for you. Dive deeper into them. You need them in those moments. Moving on in verse five of Psalm 56, as David is hitting rock bottom, he writes, all day long, they injure me without cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps. They've waited for my life, for their crime. Will they escape? And wrath cast down the peoples, O God. He's praying. He says, verse eight, you have kept the count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? David knows that God cares for him when he's hit rock bottom. And so has he cared for you. And many of David's own choices got him there. He, he was the one seeking for Goliath's sword instead of God's will. He was the one who was running um, into the enemy's land, into the Philistines' land, instead of running to God's temple. And a lot of his decisions led him to rock bottom. And in the midst of rock bottom, he turns to God and he remembers that God cares for him. You count my tossings. That means you, you watch everything that I worry about. And number two, you keep my tears in a bottle. In a bottle. Isn't that cool? Verse 90 says, then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In the midst of his trouble, he knows God is still for him. Verse 12 of Psalm 56, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from failing, that I may walk before God in the light of life. He says, Lord, you're, you've delivered me from death. In the midst of my rock bottom moment, I turned to you and you delivered me. God does that still today, my friends. Back to 1 Samuel chapter 21. It says this, then Achish said to his servants, behold, you see the man is mad. Why have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen? I just... <laughs> I love Akish here. <laughs> Do I lack Mad Men? You remember that movie, Spaceballs? It's really kind of like on the nose reference, though. Spaceballs, where he's like, Lieutenant A-hole. Where's Lieutenant A-hole? I don't know if I should say this on the podcast, but... And then they all raise their hands. He's like, I'm surrounded by A-holes. It's funny. Anyway, Akish here is, is the Darth Vader character from Spaceballs. Do I lack Mad Men that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And, and they get rid of David. And David writes Psalm 56, which is a psalm of lament in the midst of this rock bottom moment. But guess what? He also writes another psalm called Psalm 34, which is a psalm of praise. I'm going to go somewhere here, but let me, let me show you what Psalm 34 says here up on the screen. Psalm 34, verse 1. And, it, and by the way, it gives a little notation in the scriptures. Uh, this psalm is of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise, a praise psalm, Psalm 34, shall continually be in my mouth. Verse 11, skipping way down, it says this, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I will teach you. Why? Because I learned. I learned something in my distress. I learned how God delivers. Verse 12, What man is there who desires love and long and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. In other words, I lied and it really hurt me. I lied to the priest at Nob. I tried to deceive and get into the, and get in good spirits with the with the Philistines. I, I made these bad choices, and I learned that's not how God works. That's not what God blesses. And He says this, verse fourteen: Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So David does two things when he's in the midst of rock bottom. He laments, and then once God delivers, he praises. He laments. He cries out to God, and then he praises. I want to show you something cool. The, the Psalms are divided into seven categories. There are seven categories of Psalms written by uh, David, Solomon, Moses, and others. 
And the seven categories, uh, I'm going to put them on the screen if you're watching at youtube.com slash the deep end TV, youtube.com slash the deep end TV. The seven categories are praise, lament, royal, wisdom, thanksgiving, hymn, and trust psalms. Those are the seven categories. On the screen, you'll see that the lion's share of psalms are lament psalms. They're psalms that are about us crying out to God for help, which means that when we need help, we are in good company because the Bible has plenty of people who experience the same exact thing. But notice that the number of psalms for thanksgiving and praise are almost equivalent to the, to the psalms of lament. In other words, yes, the biblical writers cried out to God because they went through horrible things, but, but yes, as well, when God delivered them, they praised him. They gave thanks. And in the week of Thanksgiving, I can think of nothing better than to look back on your life and say, what did he bring me through this year? COVID didn't kill me. If you're listening to this, COVID didn't kill you. Thank God. If you have a job in the midst of this up and down economy, thank God. If you have your family, thank God. If you have health, thank God. Be in the business of lamenting to God when things are going bad, but equally important, be in the business of thanking him and praising him when he delivers you. Amen? Remember that passage of scripture where 10 lepers come to Jesus and he heals all 10 and they all go away and they're healed as they go away and only one of them comes back and the scripture says that Jesus watched this one guy come back and he said, we're not 10 cleansed, Luke 17, 17. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? He was a Samaritan leper. I just... That passage always bugs me because you know what it says to me? It says this, God watches us. He wants to see if we're going to give thanks to him. He's watching for a spirit of thanksgiving in the midst of all that could possibly go wrong or did go wrong or has gone wrong. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's get back into the passage. 1 Samuel chapter 22 now. David departed from there. He left Philistine, the, uh, Gath, the, the, the Philistine city. And he escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Look at this. Remember how his father and his brothers treated him earlier in the story when he was on the way up in life, when he was ascending? Now he's descended. Now he has hit rock bottom. Guess what this, this horrible wound that he experiences does for him in this moment? It reconciles him with his family. I think sometimes we got to look for the good in crisis. And one of the things that happens that is good in crisis is that God, God brings us back together with people who, who mean something to us. He, he brings us back in relationship with people that, that we need. That's what happens for David here in this passage. That's what happens. His father and his brothers come and, and, and meet with him. They see what he's going through. Sometimes you got to be thankful for the crisis that you experience because God is going to bring people back into your life. But he writes here, by the way, he's in the cave of Adullam. This is a very important cave for David's life. He'll be back here after Absalom's rebellion, after Sheba's rebellion, way later in his life. We'll get there eventually in the, in the season four of the deep end. He writes Psalm 142 in the cave of Adullam. And uh, Psalm 142, 142 says, David says, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy. I pour out my complaint. I, I love this because he pours it out. He doesn't let anything stay in. He doesn't hold anything in. He pours out his complaint before God. It's okay to complain to God. It's okay. When my spirit 
Faints within me, David says, you know my way and the path where I walk. They've hidden a trap for me. Verse four, he says, look to the right and see. There's none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, Lord. You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me for you will deal bountifully with me. And what we are seeing here and what we see regularly with David is this, that when David is in trouble, he worships. When David is in trouble, he worships. He's written three songs in this horrible season of his life. Like when he was killing Goliath, he didn't sing a song. He didn't write a psalm. We have no record of scripture being written because he had this mountaintop experience of victory. No, when he's in the valley of the shadow of death, he writes Psalm 23. But when he's in the valley of people's hating him and coming after him and surrounding him, he writes three, not one, not two, three psalms to say, God, in the midst of it all, I'm going to worship you. You know why? Because worship is an act of faith. That though things are falling apart all around me, I'm going to believe that God is still for me and the best is yet to come. This is what David does here. He worships in the midst of trouble. Do you worship in trouble but believing that better days are ahead, that God is still in control, that he's still sovereign? Maybe the election didn't go your way. It didn't go my way, but God is still sovereign. I'm going to worship God like never before because I know he is bigger than the government of the United States. He's even more important than this little guy right here, the Constitution. He's my freedom. He's my license of liberty. He's the one who sustains me and provides for me and strengthens me and makes me to be what he wants me to be. That's worship. Worship is expectation. It's an act of faith. When things are going terrible, you worship. I challenge you to do this because that's what David models for us here as he descends to rock bottom. Okay, let's get back into the text. Verse two of chapter 22, and everyone who is in distress, now check this out, this is beautiful. This is the highlight of this, of this episode. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul, what did they do? They gathered to David. They gathered to David. And he became commander over them. Over who? The distressed, the debtors, and the bitter people. And there were with him about 400 men. This is so incredible. David hits rock bottom. And he learns to worship God in the midst of it. And people who see him worship God in the midst of his trouble, they come around him and guess what David gets? He gets a group of sheep to care for. And guess what else he gets? He gets community. He gets fellowship. I want to put this up on the screen because this is such a key point to this, to this event. His worship, David's worship in the midst of his hardship gives him fellowship. Ooh. That's good preaching right there. <laughs> David's worship in the midst of his hardship gives him fellowship. Mm. Oh, I love that point. David's worship in the midst of his hardship gives him fellowship. If you don't learn to worship in your hardship, you won't have a fellowship. 
Because what you do is you just isolate. You'll go and you'll moan. You'll, you'll cry in your bed. You'll, 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 you'll self-medicate. You'll, you'll isolate and you'll be all alone. But if you learn to worship, if you get yourself to the house of God, if you're safe and healthy enough to get there, healthy enough to get there right now, if you get yourself to the house of God, into small group, into fellowship with people, in the midst of your hardship, you will find a fellowship. And then the best part is this, that God will take your misery and give you a ministry. That's the point of this whole passage of David's descent and exile, that as he trusts God in the midst of his misery, his misery becomes his ministry because he's surrounded by all the people who harassed, who are indebted, who are hurt by Saul, and they watch this man get hurt by Saul, and they find they find a relatability there and they come and they surround themselves around David because they know this guy knows how to get through this through worship and prayer and we need that. And God now starts to minister through the wounds that he has given to David. Your wounds can be the ways in which God works to help people. Or your wounds can be things that you allow to embitter you and isolate you and drag you down. The choice is yours. The choice is yours. David made the better choice. I hope you do too. Worship in the midst of your hardship and you'll get a fellowship. Verse three. And David went from there to Mizpah and Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, now he's in Moab. So he went to first to the Philistines. Now he goes to another ancient enemy of Israel, <laughs> the Moabites. And he says to the king of Moab, please let my father and mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. I, I just like this little line right here. Till I know what God will do for me. Hey, by the way, when you're worshiping in the midst of your hardship and you're, and, and you're surrounded in your fellowship, doesn't mean that you're going to know everything God wants you to do. Sometimes you're going to go through stuff. You're not going to know what's, what God is going to do. But I love the faith here. He knows that God's going to do something. He just doesn't know what. And so he leaves his father and mother in the care of the king of Moab. And he left them with the king of Moab. And they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now, Fun little fact here. Remember that David actually descends from the Moabites. You go back three generations. There's a woman named Ruth. She's a Moabitess. She's David's great-grandmother. And he's actually taken his father and mother to the Moabites. See, here's what Saul's doing. Saul's isolating. Saul's, Saul's out to kill his own son, for heaven's sakes. In his bitterness, in his jealousy, in his envy of David, Saul is isolating. Please listen. That's what jealousy and bitterness and, 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 and hardship can do to some people when they don't trust and worship God. They, get, they start to break off more and more relationships in their life and before they know it, they're all alone and bitter and angry. David actually is doing the opposite in the midst of his hardship. His brothers are coming back to him. His mother and father are coming back to him. And now even his ancient ancestors, the Moabites, he's building relationships with them. He's worshiping in the midst of his hardship and it's creating fellowship. Beautiful. Anyway, moving on. Verse five. Then the prophet said to Gad, oh, I'm sorry. Then the prophet Gad said to David, do not remain in the stronghold, depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. So he's still hiding. From Saul. I mean, he goes to Judah, but he goes to the forest to hide from Saul. Now the text moves back to Saul. Watch this. Because we're going to see this dichotomy between Saul and David. Verse six. Now Saul heard that David was discovered and the men who were with him Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with a spear in his hand. Man, this guy and his spears. He's always ready to chuck a spear. That's what, that's what jealousy does. And all his servants were standing about him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Here now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse, that's David, give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds? And then he says this in verse uh, 8. 
that all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is, look at this, this is the king speaking like this. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as this day. <laughs> this is a king, for heaven's sake. This is a king talking like a little child. This is what jealousy does. This is what envy and bitterness does. This is what, this is what self-absorption does. Saul is the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of Satan. Self-absorption. Satan was in heaven, the, the highest angel, and he became self-absorbed, and he wanted the place of God. And God cast him down to earth. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In judgment, he's cast down to this earth, and we are on his territory right now. And if we are in his kingdom, we will also be self-absorbed. If we are of the kingdom of Satan, we also will be self-absorbed. And here's the problem with self-absorption. It always leads to insecurity. Self-absorption equals insecurity. And that's this kingdom of Saul. The kingdom of Saul is a kingdom of self-absorption and complete insecurity because you're, you're your own God. You're not, there's no higher being watching over you, caring for you. As David is wounded by God, his, his worship in the midst of his hardship gives him fellowship and his fellowship becomes a, a, a ministry in the midst of his misery con contrasted to Saul who... The, the, the more that goes right for David, the more he feels he feels wronged, the more bitter he feels, the more the more uh, self-absorbed he feels, the, the, the more childish he acts, and the more insecure he becomes. This is why this story matters, friends. Verse nine, Saul's looking for someone to expose where David is, and guess who steps up to the plate? Doeg the Edomite. Ugh. He stood by the servants of Saul and he said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob and to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitab. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions, gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Oh, Doeg, you jerk. Because here's what Doeg's doing. He's, he's living for Doeg as well. He's, he's self-absorbed. Now Saul has just said, hey, who's, who's going to give you vineyards and who's going to give you command and who's going to give you homes and all these things? I can do that. That's the devil to us in this world today. I can do that. Look out for yourself. Look out for number one. I can give you. And Doeg takes him up on it. Look what happens. This, this gets worse. In verse 11, then the king sent and summoned Ahimelech, the priest, and all his father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitab. Ahitab. And he answered, Here I am, Lord, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, and you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword and have acquired of God for him, so that he's risen against me to lie in wait as, is, as at this day? You see, here's another thing about self-absorption. Self-absorption treats everyone in your life as a threat. These are priests, Saul. Priests are meant to serve God's people, but they're not... They're not that for you anymore because you're so self-absorbed. All you can see is that they are a threat. And I could just see that Saul's, Saul's um, military, his, his servants, they're probably like, why is he acting like this? He's king. And the priests are probably like, why is he acting? He's king. But everyone is a threat to this guy because he's self-absorbed, because he is insecure, because he has forsaken God, who is his strength, who is his source. Moving on. Gets worse. Verse 14, then Ahimelech answered the king and he said, uh, he said this, and all, all, I'm sorry, and who among all your servants is so faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law and captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house? In other words, don't you know David's for you? So are we, by the way, Saul. Is today the first time that I've inquired of God for him? No. 
Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all this, much or little. Verse 16, and the king said, you shall surely die. This is, this is the kingdom of Satan. Always trying, treating everyone as a threat, isolating, killing. You know, the more people you kill in your life, the more isolated you get, right? <laughs> this is what happens with Saul. Ahimelech, you're going to die, you and all your father's house. The king said to the guard who stood about him, turn and kill the priest of the Lord because their hand also is with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priest of the Lord. So that at least the servants have some conscience. But guess who doesn't have a conscience? Ugh. Doeg the Edomite. Ancient Israel enemy. Edom. Then the king said to Doeg, you turn and strike the priest. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priest. And he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword, both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, he put to the sword. This is the kingdom of Saul. It's the kingdom of death. Why am I, why am I pro-life? Because the kingdom of Satan is a kingdom of death. S Satan delights in the pro-choice initiatives of this country. Satan delights in abortion and euthanasia because you human beings are made in the image of God and you reflect to him his ultimate authority and accountability, God. Saul's kingdom is a kingdom of death. It's a kingdom of killing. It's a kingdom of killing because it's all about self. Check out the channel on YouTube, choicefor2.com. There's this fantastic YouTube video on the industry of abortion, which is really about uh, the ancient practice of sacrificing to Moloch for your own financial success. And we're just doing the same thing today because we're so self-absorbed in this country. So self-absorbed. We want to have the right to kill our unborn children because we need to make money. And so we offer our children on the offering uh, uh, altar of, of sacrifice for financial gain. Anyway, this is the kingdom of Saul. The kingdom of Saul disrespects people. The kingdom of Saul isolates. The kingdom of Saul is self-absorbed. Got to get back into the text here because I'm getting off track. Verse 20. One of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitab, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. So there's one priest that escapes this massacre. His name is Abiathar. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And finally, we get to the passage that really matters here. Check this out. And David said to Abiathar, verse 22, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. In other words, it's my fault. I did this. I'm so sorry. I did this. Doeg was there. I probably should have killed him. I didn't want to kill him. I don't know. I'm sorry, Abiathar. Verse 23, he says this. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me, you shall be in safe keeping. This passage is powerful. This passage is showing us something. David has been through hell. He's running for his life. He's hiding in caves in foreign nations. He's trying to hold his family together. And he's unsure of what God would do for him. And yet through it all, his misery becomes a ministry to the downtrodden, downtrodden and distressed. Abiathar is case in point. Abiathar who's lost his family, his friends, his entire, his entire town has been massacred and he's alone. And David says, I got you. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. With me, you shall be in safekeeping. You know what the wounds of God in David's life do? They make a way for people 
who have been hurt in life to find peace in God through David. See, what David gets here is a, is a flock to take care of again. Remember, he had a flock under his father's care. Now he's got a flock again, the flock of God, the flock of those who have been harassed by Saul. Let me say this very clearly, Christian. Have you been hurt? Have you been wounded? Have you gone through things that you say, why on earth? Here's why. Because you're not the only person that's going to go through it. You're not the only person that's going to experience that pain, that, 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 that distress. That depression, that anxiety, that divorce, that abandonment, that betrayal. You're not the only one. So worship in the midst of your hardship so that God will give you that fellowship. And that fellowship is your opportunity to be a minister of the grace and the goodness of God. I need to wrap things up. Saul and David on the screen here at youtube.com slash deepntv. Saul, self-absorbed, insecure. Every moment is about himself. Everyone is a suspect. Everyone is a threat. He's willing to kill for his kingdom. He's estranged from everyone he loved. And he's on the road to self-destruction. David, on the other hand, is made selfless and dependent on God. He's wounded by the Lord. He's made useful to those wounded in the world. He's contrite. He's compassionate. He's hungry for God. Those three prayers, those three wounds that, that, that was part of that prayer. And then he's made ready to serve others. What kingdom do you belong to? The kingdom of Saul or the kingdom of David? I mean, I, I, I don't think it's hard to see which kingdom is the better choice. In your wounding, in your pain, in your hardship, become a worshiper. Let that worship find you a fellowship. And then serve that fellowship and ministry because you're not the only one who has gone through that. You're not the only one who has felt that. You're not the only one who was harassed like that. And people, God has people to send your way when you learn to worship him through it, grow through it, find his answers in the midst of it, and serve people in Christ's name. Exile can be a good place. It can be a place where we learn to have contrition over our sin, compassion for others, and a hunger for God. Amen. That's our episode, guys. And I hope it was a blessing to you. And I hope especially that you will subscribe at youtube.com slash the deep end TV, youtube.com slash the deep end TV, and all of our other social media pages. Hey, do me a favor if you would. Would you give to the deep end support? The Deep End, go to thedeepend.tv slash give or the cash app, cash tag thedeependtv or paypal.me slash thedeependtv. Make sure you give and support what's going on here. Uh, it's a blessing to bring this content to you. Uh, better things are on the way for The Deep End. Uh, my book is coming out in March of 2021 and I just love sharing this content with you. Hey, share the video on your social media pages. That would be great. Share the video on your social media pages and uh, come back in two weeks for part nine of the life of David. Uh, as far as this goes tonight, happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy your family and some football and some food. See you next time. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Deep End. We pray it helps you grow in your faith and your walk with Christ. If you don't already have a home church, we invite you to come out to one of our campuses this weekend. 
Check us out at waterschurch.org to find a location near you and a service time that fits your schedule. Make sure to stay tuned for next week's episode of The Deep End with Tim Hatch.